Welcome to the Run for PRs podcast. This is your host, Victoria Phillippe. The Run for PRs podcast was created to give away the secrets to transform your training to reach your goals. We ask all the expert run coaches and athletes the questions that you've been dying to know the answers to. We will get the inside scoop on what really makes you the best athlete that you can be. Have you ever seen a fast runner and wonder, wow, how did they get so fast? Well, then this podcast is for you. We are going to do a deep dive to reveal the secrets to reaching your potential as a runner. How to gain endurance. Running is an aerobic sport. Any athlete who has a previous background in aerobic sports like distance swimming, biking, or soccer will have an aerobic base already established more so than someone who has been inactive their whole life. Speed and endurance are two pieces to this distance running puzzle. Some athletes can crush a super fast one mile time or half mile time, but then struggle when it comes to longer distance events like a 5K, 10K, half marathon, and even a full marathon. Today we will be chatting about training specifically to gain endurance to carry whatever speed that you do currently have across a longer distance. And I know some people listening are saying, well, I don't have any speed. And I would grant to say that's incorrect. Speed is all relative to wherever you're at. So if you're someone who can run, you know, half mile at a certain pace, our goal for this podcast is to try to figure out how we can extend whatever pace that is, whatever your base fitness level is for your quote unquote speed over a longer distance because that's the really cool part about distance running is that your one mile PR time or your 5k PR pace, those can become paces that you run for longer distances if you train correctly. And so today I have with me Jason Phillippe, who is the head cross country and distance track coach at the University of Wisconsin River Falls. Um, And it's really unique that he has in this role, he works with athletes at the track and field distance events. So a lot of these runners are running the 400, the 800, the 1K, very short distance events and even the mile. And then also when it comes to outdoor season and when it comes to working with our Run for PRs athletes, he helps these athletes translate that speed into longer distance events like the 5k, 10k, half marathon, and marathon. So it's really cool that there's these two pieces and we're going to talk about how you put them together and how you become a very well-rounded athlete and really reaching your potential in this sport. So Jason, it's great to have you with us. Um, Can you give us a little bit about your background and how you have personally and as a coach helped people develop that um, endurance engine once they have speed and is speed relative? Yeah, so a little bit about my background. I started, you know, I played a bunch of sports growing up, so I was always involved with hockey and soccer. And then I got into running in middle school, just went off of the track team. The furthest we ran was about two miles in training, and then for racing, we did about a mile. Um, and then when I got into high school, we, you know, we started to run a little bit further, like four miles, I'd say, was was pretty far for me at the time. Um, and then I started running the mile and the two mile, and then I found out what cross country was, so I got into that. And of course, cross country is 5K. And so I ran that all throughout high school. And then transitioning to college, you kind of start to just increase, you know, your your mileage over time. And I was probably running, I don't know, maybe 30 miles a week in high school and then upwards around 40 to 50 in college. So it's just been a kind of a long, slow, gradual build over time. And I feel like just because I was so active as a kid, that kind of helped me um, with developing an aerobic base so I could at least go out and you know, slowly start to build miles. And, um, you know, what's interesting, Victoria mentioned, I'm coaching college track kids right now, and I've been able to recruit a few kids um, to the team who have no formal background in the sport of running. So they didn't do track or cross country in high school. I just noticed that they were running on the treadmill or they were going for a run outside and they just seem really interested in, in trying to get faster. So we've, we've been pretty fortunate to kind of lure some of those kids to our team and, um, you know, they've, they're pretty new to the sport. So they've ran a few races. Um, I'll give you an example, 800 meters, which is a half mile. Um, you know, some of them run around probably 245 to 250, which is under six minute pace. Um, and if we plug those times into, you know, all the online calculators, those are going to indicate that they should be able to run a 5k in 1940 or, you know, even a half marathon at 130. but that's not necessarily the case. They don't have the aerobic engine, um, you know, built up where they could go out and handle those long 
runs at those paces. So I think we'll be talking a lot today about how we can kind of get people to that to that point where you know we can like Victoria said extend that that pace to the distance that they're trying to run. Yeah, that's really great to hear that, you know, even at the college level, when I think of college athletes, I think, wow, okay, these people are at the pinnacle of their fitness. But even then you're saying, you know, some of these kids that run a really fast one mile time, let's say they run, you know, like a 530 mile, that should be indicative of, you know, maybe an 1845 5k or, you know, like a sub 130 half. And they would never be able to go out unless they specifically trained for that half marathon and run the sub 130. I mean, unless, you know, there's just some amazing amount of talent and their training allowed them to. But typically speaking, if you're training for a one mile, it's going to look very different um, than the half marathon, which is really unique and cool. And another thing that you mentioned about just your background, I know when a lot of people listen to that and let's say they don't have a background where they ran in middle school and high school, um, often when I hear your story, you know, oh, I ran in middle school and high school, it's just so hard for me to relate to because I always think that the people who were really good runners, you know, back in grade school or middle school, high school, that they just had some sort of natural talent and natural ability because it seemed like at the time when you're going through it and, you know, physical education and all that stuff, it seemed like everyone was on the same playing field. At least that was my perspective as a kid. Do you think that is the case or do you think that like you actually had more endurance because you played outside more than all the other kids in your gym class? Or do you think that it was just like a natural genetic gift? Because part of me now that I'm getting older probably thinks that it was because you played outside more. Whereas me, I was never good at running because I just didn't really go outside. I, I mean, I did, but I, I wasn't active. Like I would maybe swing on the swings, whereas maybe you were playing ball with your friends. What do you think was the underlying difference? Do you think it was genetic or do you think it was based on what you did as a kid playing? Yeah, I think, I think the genetic role that, you know, that running would play is, is basically determining if we're more uh, fast twitch versus slow twitch. So if someone's going to be more naturally, you know, gravitating to the speed versus the distance. Um, so when you look at kids on a track team, you know, figuring out should they be a sprinter or more of a middle distance distance runner. Um, and I think for me, it was all about, it was kind of the way I grew up and just being outside all the time. Like we were constantly doing, doing activities. And I think from day one, playing baseball and t-ball as a kid and then getting into hockey, um, not only was I aerobically active, but I was also developing my competitive mindset. And so I think that that translated into gym class and into middle school when we had those opportunities to go out and kind of race each other and try to run, you know, a fast time to, to qualify for the presidential fitness award and stuff like that. So I think a lot of it was just developing, you know, not just physically, but more, more mentally and increasing mental toughness and, um, yeah. And then when I got into middle school, I think I was, I was still playing mul- multiple sports. I think that that definitely helped year round activity. So it's never like you're taking a break. You're constantly jumping in from soccer in the fall, hockey in the winter, baseball in the spring and summer. So I think that, I think that, you know, an aerobic engine, as we're going to discuss today, that can be built, um, in, in a few short years. It really doesn't depend on your genetics. It does slightly depend on your background, like as far as how quickly we can build that, but, um, anyone can develop it. It doesn't, you know, you don't need to be born with amazing genes to, you know, be a, somewhat of a fast runner, depending on your definition of fast. But I think anyone can train for a marathon and accomplish that distance. It's just going to take some time. Right. Yeah. I find your story just so interesting because I think most people listening, they probably, you know, played some sports as a kid. I think everyone was involved, you know, in some sort of activity, you know, even though I wasn't super active in my childhood, you know, like I still did karate and dance and all those things. But I think the biggest thing that separates, because you might be listening and be like, well, how come I'm not a fast runner? How come I didn't have the same aerobic base to be one of the faster kids? Um, I think, you know, in your instance, you were saying, you know, this was a year round thing for you. Like you were playing multiple different sports that utilized the endurance and the aerobic system. Um, hockey is definitely a difficult sport. And I mean, you, you were playing that probably two hours a day during the season. And then it transitioned into baseball. And then, you you played all of the sports so there was never like a gap and I think that's the biggest thing for you know if people are listening and you you have kids that are in activities or you personally were in activities it's really important the consistency of it um if you take one year off or if you take three months off that's going to have an impact on you and so if you have someone that's highly highly active um never really taking 
a lot of time off or, you know, switching sports, um, those sort of things actually build on each other. And I think that's where you see the athletes that really stick out. Um, even, you know, thinking back to high school, like the best athletes um, that I saw in high school or that went on to do college sports, it seemed that they were the ones that were always like super dedicated, always played, played a sport. And I think that just really speaks to the consistency. And we'll probably go into a little bit more of that um, later in the podcast. I know we, we've we already mentioned kind of the first question that we had here is, are people who have been running and playing sports longer in their life at an advantage when it comes to training for these long distance races? Um, so I know we talked about you specifically that it it probably benefited you, but what about other people? Um, have you seen this play out before? What are some of the sports and leading factors that you've seen? Like if someone does take a break and then they come back and they want to try running, um, let's say they were a competitive swimmer. Do you think that there's an advantage there? Um, and how so? Yeah, I have a couple stories that are coming to mind. Um, most recently, we're we're doing a track pass right now, which is a camp for high school kids. They can come to our track every Sunday, which is kind of leading up to their start of their season here in March. And, um, you know, I'm finding that the, the kids that are showing up for distance running, um, the ones that were involved in a winter sport, no matter what it was, basketball, hockey, um, swimming, those are probably the top three. Those kids, you can tell, are just light years ahead of the other kids that really haven't been doing anything all winter. Um, we just started with a simple workout of just 400 meter repeats just to kind of build some endurance. And, um, the kids that are involved in those sports were definitely the ones who were looking stronger and could do more. Um, and I think there's definitely that correlation of just being consistent. Um, you know, they're at practice, they're getting their heart rate elevated. The other kids I asked if they've been running much and, you know, I'm hearing crickets. So it's, it's sort of a, it's interesting. And it starts, yeah, obviously when we're kids and, if you're an adult who's just going to get into running and you haven't been that active recently, you know, you're kind of starting from scratch and it might take you just a little bit longer than it would somebody who was maybe involved in, um, I don't know, men's softball league or maybe a women's volleyball league or, you know, something like that where you're at least active. Um, so the other example I have is that we recruited somebody who was a competitive swimmer for four years in college. And so, she was just training kind of on, on the side for a half marathon just for fun, just to see how, it would, how she liked it. And she joined our cross-country team. And right away, you know, she could handle the mileage. She was able to go out and run five, six miles. But when we get to the race, it's, it kind of took her a, a few races to get uh, just, just to really learn the mental side of things of like how hard she could push herself because, you know, you're, you're, going, you're coming from the pool onto dry land where <laughs> you're not quite sure how your body's going to hold up. So... Um, but she progressed nicely. It only took her a couple months, whereas I feel like most people, it would take them at least a full season or a year or two to get to that level um, where she was running. I think she was our eighth runner on the team, basically running around 26 minutes for 6K. So that's just another example that kind of comes to mind. Yeah, it's really cool to hear that, you know, even though the sport is completely different, like you were saying, a swimmer, like you wouldn't think that that translates into road racing, but I've seen it play out time and time again. I mean, it's not like an instant thing. It's not like you go straight from the pool to running and then boom, you're super fast. But like you were saying, it just is almost like it becomes more natural to them. And I think that can be difficult for people who are watching and thinking, oh, they just have this natural talent when really um, it's just that they had experience um, in a non-traditional way that helped them um, elevate them to the next level faster than someone else. And another person that comes to my mind, um, my mom didn't start running until she was 50 years old. That was when she first started training for her first 5K. Um, And you know, she was able to progress pretty quickly um, in her running, given her age, given the fact that she had never ran in her, her whole life. And you know, looking back at what she did over the course of her life before she turned 50, it's like, in the 80s, you know, when she was 20, 30 years old, she was an aerobic fitness instructor. So she was like teaching step classes and all of those things. And so I can't help but like piece it together and say the reason that she was able to progress so quickly and, you know, within a couple of years, she, she was running multiple full marathons a year. I, I really think that it stems back to, you know, things that she did two decades prior. She had experience in the fitness industry. She was doing aerobic related things. It wasn't necessarily running but I think that it elevated her to be able to handle a little bit more um, over time. And so it, it's not fair, like two 50-year-olds who start running at the same time, depending on what they did their entire lives leading up to that, 
it can play a role in how quickly you can progress in the sport. And that's really important to remember because a lot of people would think something that someone did 30 years prior, how is that going to help them? But really it plays a role um, and our bodies are just very, very interesting the way that they have muscle memory that lasts for a very long time. Um, And another thing that can be said about that is, you know, if she went into being 30 years old and she was in really good shape, versus, you know, that maybe that's 20 years where she was not in shape versus someone else who was out of shape their entire life. They've never been in shape. Your body, I mean, the longer you can be in shape um, when you're young, like the more that's going to carry on um, once you get older. So it's just really important to remember that consistency pays off and being in shape is is really valuable. And just to remember that even if you've fallen off the wagon or you're not in the best shape that you want to be right now, you can get get it back so much quicker um, than you realize. So I guess, you know, diving into more of the nitty gritty questions here where a lot of people are curious, listening, um, how long does it typically take to build up to a half marathon distance and to be able to finish, you know, 13.1 miles Uh, just from, you know, a beginner's standpoint or someone who is very new to the sport who can maybe run two or three miles at a time? Yeah, so this question is layered with so many different factors. It's going to depend on how much you've been running, you know, recently, but also, you know, what are your goals for the half marathon? Is it just to kind of finish? And, you know, are you you okay with doing some run walking or do you want to try to run the whole time? And so, you know, once we can pinpoint all of these answers, we can start to develop a plan for you. And I think, the number one thing to start getting you on that path is just to increase mileage. And so when we talk about increasing mileage, um, we're not just talking long runs, but we're talking, um, you know, the, the amount of days that you're running per week and then how long those runs are. So every, you know, one to three weeks, we're probably going to add um, an extra run per week or an extra one to two miles on your easy runs. So we're going to progress you that way. And then as far as long runs, um, you know, the, the, the answer really is how far we're running right now for long runs. Then we can kind of start to determine when will they be ready to run 13 miles. So let's say you're, you're able to run five right now. Um, I would say we're typically going to look to add a mile to your long run every two, two-ish weeks or so. We definitely want to, you know, we don't want to just go five, six, seven, eight, nine. We want to offer a cutback week in there and make sure that your body is adapting. So we might do like um, six miles for two weeks and then jump up to seven and then maybe offer a six mile for your cutback before we jump up to eight, that sort of thing. So I think once you can get to about 70% of the total distance, um, you know, 70 to 80 for sure, then we're going to be in the ballpark of being able to complete that race. Um, you know, when we talk about a marathon, nobody's going to go out and run 26 before they can run the actual marathon distance. So I think about 70% is kind of the magic number. Um, if you can get in that range, 70% of the total distance, then on race day, hopefully you can kind of power through and get through the the remaining miles. Right. Yeah. That's really interesting to hear, you know, just getting to that 70 to 80% on that long run. And, you know, there's a lot of factors I think that come into play with that. You know, the taper obviously is a big one and the accumulative effect of all the miles that you've been running per week. There's a lot of science behind why you only need to do, you know, 70% in your long run. And 70% of the half marathon distance is only nine miles. And I think when a lot of people hear that, they get uneasy and they think, ooh, I don't know if I'll be able to run 13 miles if my longest run has only been nine. So how does that work? How do you get to go an extra four miles and complete that additional 30% if you've never done it in training? Well, a lot of times in training, we're not going till exhaustion, or at least we hope we're not, because we're going to you know, we're going to be right back at it the next week with adding workouts, with increasing mileage and that sort of thing. But your race is kind of your time to really push yourself and dig deep. Not to mention, you're going to have the support of people around you. So you might have other runners, you may have the crowd support. Um, you know, you're, you're going to be fueling and hydrating more than you probably would during your easy run. So I think that, um, you know, just, just setting yourself up and, um, just progressing, you know, after the course of a few weeks, you're going to be ready to tackle that distance. It's kind of like when you, if you run your first marathon, you know, there's always that uncertainty, like, am I going to be able to finish? But I think you just have to be confident in, in your training. And, you know, we need to add in some workouts to help give you that confidence as well. So you're not just running easy all the time. 
Right. Yeah. There's so many components that go into it. Like you were seeing the workouts, the long runs, the mileage, um, it all kind of compiles and makes you, you know, gain that endurance over time. So I guess like a big question, cause you know, everyone wants to tackle these big races. Like they want to do half marathons. They want to do full marathons, ultra marathons to kind of show like, I have this endurance. I'm able to run this distance. And it's almost like you're proving to yourself and others in the world. It's like a statement. Um, do you, do you think that there's other ways to measure endurance besides actually completing the events? Like is someone who just runs a couple of days or a couple, uh, a couple of every month they do like a nine mile long run. Do they have the same endurance as someone who can finish a half marathon? And how do you like equate that and know, you know, a lot of your cross country runners, they've never done a half marathon, but they probably could finish. So how does one really know what their endurance capabilities are if they never tested? And do you think that you need to test it? Yeah, it's really hard to know. I mean, you'd have to do some sort of physical test, uh, you know, at a race distance to get a good idea, or you can, you know, so maybe a 5k or 10k race. Um, but that's not always going to determine who would be better at the half marathon. You know, I can look at my team and I could take my top 5k and he may or may not be my top half marathoner. It just kind of depends. You know, he may have more speed, but he may lack the aerobic capacity to sustain that for a half marathon. Whereas another kid maybe lacks the speed for the shorter race, but he might be able to be the number one in the half. So I think it's going to depend on, you know, looking at the workouts for sure are going to indicate looking at what have they done for mileage for, you know, like weekly totals, but also for the long runs, who's been the most consistent. Um, but as far as like trying to figure out a pace that you should tackle for your half, I think that that's going to come down to, you know, the paces that you've been running for your long runs. Like if you're running nine miles, what pace is that at? How are you feeling at the end of that run? Because if you feel just, exhausted like you can't run another step then obviously you're going to want to have a slower pace for your half but if you are feeling pretty strong then you should be able to run that pace if not faster for your half so it's just kind of figuring out I think over time and trial and error through workouts you know what pace is going to be right for you yeah this is so interesting um one of our friends Neil Colick he is an ultra marathoner I think he even set the superior 100 record back in like 2018 um, but anyways, yeah, I remember hearing him say once, it's not the distance I'm afraid of, it's the pace. And so I think it's really interesting because there are the two factors involved. There's the pace and the distance. And I think anyone who's, you know, completed a half marathon or a couple of them on, and completed a couple of marathons, they start to get more into the what pace can I run over this distance rather than just completing the distance in and of itself. So there's kind of two things going on. Um, and I think what most people would agree with who've done a couple of these races is that, you know, getting to the point of finishing uh, one of these longer distance events, you know, regardless of pace, just making sure you, you complete it versus going after a time are two totally different beasts. So how do you, you know, prepare for that? How do you set goals based on that? And um, do you think that if someone's just going into a race with the mindset of, I'm just going to finish, even if I have to walk, even if I have to, you know, crawl, whatever, um, just to finish without any sort of time goal, is their training different than someone who has an aggressive time goal? Um, yeah, I would say so. The person who's got the aggressive goal, you know, they, they need to be doing some workouts that, you know, give them the confidence that they're going to be able to sustain the pace they want to try to target. Um, and then they're also going to look at probably their long, longest couple runs and see, you know, what was the average pace for those. For the people that are going to more or less walk run, um, I guess they don't really have a time goal. So for them, it's just more about finding a pace where they're going to be able to sustain and maybe um, walk to, you know, regain that mental strength that it's going to take to actually finish the distance. Um, one of my athletes yesterday told me that they want to try to run a marathon this summer. And that was very uh, alarming to me to hear, but she basically says she doesn't care about the time and it's more about just the experience. And so she's planning to run walk, but, um, you know, I'm trying to maybe convince her to shorten it and go after the half. That way she can at least try to run the whole thing and, you know, get a little bit more out of it as far as like, um, the training and, and maybe being competitive going after a time as opposed to, you know, suffering through a full. And then we all know about the, you know, the physical damage that, happens and goes along with the full and the recovery and all that so it's just something you know it's really interesting to me when people um you have their different goals for for races and a lot of times i guess for new people who are gonna 
run a distance for the first time, yeah, a lot of it is just having, you know, the goal is to finish, but it kind of depends on how long they've been running, um, how successful they've been maybe at some of the other distances. Um, you know, like for myself, I, I remember my first half I had, I guess I didn't really know what my goal was because it was the first time I was going to run a race, you know, really over six miles. So it was going to be double the distance. Um, but once I had my halftime, then I had my goal, like what I wanted to try to run a marathon in. So it was just kind of interesting. And I know some people maybe are the opposite where they would set a goal for the half, but not for the full. Um, so it's just interesting to think about kind of where you are in the, on the path of your, your running and, you know, what you want to try to accomplish in terms of races or times. Yeah, I find it really interesting, you know, moving to the marathon distance and even thinking about distances that are beyond the marathon distance. Um, you know, as you talked about, one of your athletes wants to run the marathon, and I have no doubts in my mind she could do it. I, I have no doubts in my mind anyone on your team literally could do it, um, which kind of brings up an interesting point because I think people who maybe haven't done, you know, a handful of marathons or they've never done one at all, they might be thinking, what? Like, you have to train for that and all that stuff, but... You know, given your background, Jason, just for some background for people who don't know, Jason probably, I think his longest run in the last 18 months has been 12 miles maximum. Um, He's ran in his life. Oh, yeah, he did like one half marathon. Um, In his life, he's done about 10-ish marathons, but he has not ran over 12 or 13 miles at all in the last, you know, year and a half. So given all of that information, one might think Jason couldn't run a marathon, but Jason, if someone said, you know, you got to run a marathon, we'll give you a couple thousand bucks or whatever tomorrow. You just got to go out and do it. You, you can finish it. What sort of time you think you can run for a marathon? And do you have any doubt in your mind that you would not be able to finish just aerobically? Um, no, not really a doubt aerobically. If I wasn't able to finish, it's due to some sort of muscular, you know, constraint, like I'm cramping or something's really hurting just from not being used to the, you know, being on my feet for that long. But I mean, I'd have, I'd have faith that I could at least finish, um, aerobically. There'd be no concern there. It would all be about how my legs feel. Um, as far as the time, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm in, I've, I've been pretty consistent this winter so far. So I feel like I'm getting in better shape, probably better than I was last summer, um, but I'd probably shoot just for like, I don't know, probably 310 to be safe. Like I wouldn't go out super fast. I would try to go out and try to negative split. Um, I do, I think I could break three. Yeah, but I wouldn't really want to risk going out and feeling like crap. So I've done enough marathons where I'm experienced enough to, um, always remind myself, do you want to feel strong in the later miles or do you want to try to bank some time and then, you know, not know how you're going to feel and suffer through it? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people listening might be like, oh, I don't believe you. But, you know, what was it? October 2018, um, like one of the last times you ran a marathon, I was we we joked and we're like, okay, Jason, sign up for Twin Cities Marathon. We were working at an expo. We had this run for PR's tent up and we were at the Twin Cities Marathon Expo. Um, and we were just joking around saying, oh, we're, we're kind of lazy. All these runners are here and we're not even running the race. Um, so, you know, the expo is kind of shutting down. It was the last day. And m- me and one of the other coaches were joking around. And we we're like, Jason, you got to sign up. Just sign up. See what happens. He hadn't, he didn't train at all. He had done a 12 mile and he did like a 15 or 16. But that was several re- weeks prior. I mean, those were his only long runs within the span of like three years leading up to the race. And he went out and ended up running like 317 or 318, um, which is crazy. But I mean, that just goes to show you the power of your aerobic base and maintaining that. And, you know, even though he didn't have like a traditional marathon training cycle, he was able to get to the finish line and his body was able to hold up and he had the endurance to do it, which brings up a very interesting point is like, well, then why are you trained for these events? But I think really what it shows is a lot of it is mental. You know, once you get to a certain fitness level and you have like a certain aerobic base there, a lot of it becomes the the mental part of pushing through and getting to that finish line. Um, you know, obviously there's a physical part there, but what do you think that has to say for the mental part? And have you ever had other friends or people that you know who have done similar things? Yeah, I think the biggest thing there was like, I wasn't naive to think, oh, I'm going to go out and run like 305. Because if I would have did that, I think I would have probably blew up and it would have been a lot harder. And then mentally, I might have just, I don't know, given up or something. But 
I think because I started at a pace, you know, I just knew I could sustain. I, yeah, it, it just came down to, okay, well, you're just slowly going to press on the gas once you get to, you know, the later miles. Um, but I think it's about how honest and real you are with yourself based on, you know, your training up to that point and based on your experiences. You know, luckily I had known, you know, I've, I've had good marathons, but I've also blown up before. So that kind of taught me not to make that same mistake, um, even though I was running a marathon on a whim and had no idea how it was going to go. But I think I just was, you know, overly cautious with, with making sure I was plenty uh, prepared with feeling and um, with, with my pacing plan. Yeah, I think that that just really speaks to how how much of the marathon can be um, mental and kind of in your head. And that's why it's important, you know, to only do that if it's something that you really intrinsically want to do. So, you know, we see a lot of people who blow up or have terrible marathon experiences. And sometimes it's just you get to the point where it's like it's really uncomfortable during the race and your mind is just like, I'm done. Like, and you just check out mentally. And I think that that can make the pain and the suffering that you're in even worse because if your mind's not on your side, then, you know, it's, it's going to be really hard. And I think that's, what's really addictive about the marathon is like, you get to face those, you know, mental demons and fight yourself almost to the finish line, um, to see, you know, is this something like I really want or not? Um, which is kind of cool. And I know I have a friend, um, you know, if you've ever watched our little Run for PRs video that we have up on our website, um, the marketing, it's it's a nice little video, Um, or any of like our professional pictures that we've done, those are all um, photographed and videography by an ultra marathon who's actually done, an ultra marathon her, who's done several 100 mile races. And I'm always just like amazed by, you know, his ability to like finish these ultra marathons. Like how, how does anyone run a hundred miles? It blows my mind. Um, but I remember he was at the twin cities one mile race one year and he was watching and I finished and he was like, wow, congratulations. And I was like, almost laughing. And I'm like, no, you do like a hundred milers, like 100 of these. And he goes, yeah, but what you just did was braver because it's so fast. So it's just so funny how there's the two different aspects of the sport where a hundred miler would think like, I'm never doing a one mile race because it's so different. But at the same time, um, he has been someone over the years who always, I think is encouraging people to try ultra marathons. Um, which is awesome. And, you know, I've only ever done a 50 K, which I don't really know if they consider that an ultra marathon, which, you know, it's, it's 31, some 31 point something miles. Um, but he always said to me, you know, if you have ever done a marathon, you could easily do a 50 miler. And he's like, if you're in marathon shape, you're in 50 miler shape. And I just thought, what? Like, I'm like, no, there's no way. But, you know, after looking at his training or even some of our other friends training who have done 100 milers, um, you know, your friend Justin Youngblom, what does his training look like? Um, and how do you think these guys like finish or girls even finish 100 mile runs and races? Yeah, I think they don't they don't really worry about workouts much. I mean, they just basically do a lot of long runs, a lot of mileage. They may take a few days off. Um, it's not like they're running every day, but their runs are like... <laughs> you know, constantly like 14, 16, 18, like 20, 28 miles, you'll see all of a sudden if they're doing, you know, like a long training run and they're starting to gear up for their race. But, um, that's, that's kind of how, I guess that's their training. It's, it's, you know, you look at it and you're like, there's nothing consistent about it, but yet, or there's no really patterns, but yet there is some consistency, I guess, from like, you know, if you're looking at it from like a month to month, um, but it may look kind of wonky. Like one week, there might only be two runs. The next week, there might be five. But you're still seeing like quite a few long runs. And you're seeing like that's that's what I think when I look at those, you know, those people who do the ultras and their Strava accounts. And part of it might just be like they're listening to their body, right? Like they're giving the bodies a rest or they're really resting and preparing for the next long run coming up. Um, so it's always interesting. But I think, yeah, they have their own, you know, reasons for doing that, but also their goals. Like they may not care about the time or maybe they're trying to run the same race where they ran last year and they're trying to get a slightly faster time. It just depends. Or maybe they're going to a different race and it's, you know, twice as hilly. And so their time isn't, you know, the time goal is really not there. What's important is just trying to, to feel good and to finish. 
Yeah, definitely. I always find their training super interesting too. And one person that's coming to mind is Justin Youngblum, who this summer I was doing my own long run around the lakes. Um, and you had like brought me water and you stopped your car and it was super weird. Cause at the same time, like your friend like ran by the car the same time I was. And so we all kind of stopped yeah. and talked and it was probably like seven, eight in the morning. And what mile was he already at? And what oh, was he attempting was he? to do? He like 21 or something already. Oh he yeah. Lives, yeah. If you know the cities, he lives in like Woodbury and it was by the lakes in Minneapolis. So, I mean, it was at least like. 18 to 22 miles away from his house and he was three hours into his run already almost and it was like he had his backpack on with some water and stuff but he was he was running all the way up from you know Woodbury to Maple Grove so it's basically like the south um the southeast corner all the way to the northwest corner of the metro um and then his wife is going to pick him up so he's going to run up to his favorite running store and just kind of hang out there and probably get some new shoes and some fuel so that's kind of what his training was it was going to be like 30 something miles um and again i think he had a 50 miler coming up so i think that was the reason for that rate that race but maybe it was 100 i'm not quite sure <laughs> but yeah he you know he does crazy stuff like that and he probably had to get out the door at like 4 a.m i think that morning so he was running in the dark for the first couple hours yeah, I always find it really interesting because I follow him on, on Strava. And so when he told me to my face, like, yeah, this I'm at 21 of like this. He was going to go 38, I remember, and thinking, oh, my gosh. Um, but he he hadn't done like any really long runs leading up to that point, and he was training for a 100-miler. And I was just like, how can you just out of nowhere just decide today is the day I'm running 38 miles? Like maybe he did a 12, 15, 16, but he never, you know, was going – he didn't do like 36 the week before, you know, so it, it's not as traditional. And I think a lot of it does boil down to like the mentality of it and, you know, getting out the door at 4am like he did. Um, it's just, it's a little quirky and weird, but I think it's necessary, you know, for these ultra runners to kind of do weird stuff like that. Cause if you're, if you're training for a hundred mile race, a lot of that's going to boil down to mentality and just getting through it and putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, you know, like getting up at 4am running completely alone, having to do all of these things like navigating where to go. Cause I'm sure it wasn't easy figuring out how to get from where he was. He basically ran an entire metropolitan area um, somehow got from one side to the other, which, which is really impressive because with all like the highways and major roads, I don't know how he really even did that, but I think that was part of the challenge and it, it kind of kept his mind distracted. And it's just important to remember that a lot of it, once you get to a certain fitness level is the mental training involved. And so making sure that it's really something that you want to do and that's, it's important to you. Um, but I know we've talked a lot about the mental side of things and kind of training for the longer distance, like the 26.2 mile, but maybe getting more into like the technical details of training. Do you think that it's harder to gain that endurance if people are trying to constantly go race pace or not necessarily at race pace, but just like not a super easy pace when they're doing their long runs? Um, you know, like let's say your goal is to run a four hour marathon, you know, I think that's a pretty common goal right around nine minute pace. Um, and you just are doing all your long runs at nine fifteen, eight forty five, nine, maybe between that eight forty five and nine twenty pace. Um, do you think that's going to be harder for you to end up getting to that goal of a sub four rather than someone who's really taking it easy, allowing their body to gain that endurance and keeping their easy pace, you know, at 10 or 1030 pace? Yeah. And I'm wondering, you know, if they're really averaging eight forty five to nine minutes, you know, are they able to complete their long runs? Because, you know, if, you know, if your goal is four hours, your PR is probably, you know, slower than that, obviously. So, you know, if we are assuming your PR is maybe like 420, um, you know, and you're running that fast for your long runs, I'm wondering like how, you know, how long are you able to sustain that pace? Um, are you cutting the run short? What do your workouts look like during the week as well? Because, um, you know, that, that would indicate that you're probably needing a long time to recover after that. And then we may not be able to get those quality, you know, workouts in during the week as well. Cause we don't just want to do marathon pace work. We want to work on some threshold training. We want to throw in a little bit of fartlek work so we get some faster, um, speed training in. So I think that, you know, the, the best approach is going to be to slow down and, um, you know, I would say maybe like every third long run, sure, or sec or every other long run, it's important to incorporate some faster pace work, but we don't want the whole run to be at your goal race pace because that's just going to be um, 
take, you know, take a lot of toll on your body and also possibly burn you out or end up getting, getting you hurt. So. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, as a coach, one of the biggest things that I hear from people and even I still struggle with this, even though I've been running for 10 years is slowing down and going slower can sometimes feel weird. It feels different. Um, it doesn't feel as natural to go maybe at an easier pace because your body has like never done it before. It doesn't feel right. Um, but I think that's normal and kind of getting away from like the stigma of, oh, this doesn't feel right. Like just stop getting in your head and allow um, the pace to really become easy. I mean, you're about a 620 pace for a marathon and you're, you're, you usually are going, you know, about eight minute pace on an easy day, maybe like 745. So that just gives some idea there, you know, about 90 seconds per mile slower than your marathon PR pace um, is, you know, a, a good rule of thumb for those easy days. And just knowing that, you know, even, you know, elites do this. So you look at people like Kipchoge, same thing, like he's going significantly slower than his race pace. Um, and this rule applies to everyone. So sometimes people are like, well, what if I'm already slow? Do I still have to run slow? And it's like, slow is relative to the person. So like I brought up my mom, for example, the other day she runs... I think about her easy run, her 5k PR is like eight minute, eight thirty pace. And on her easy run, she's going, you know, 11 minute pace. So it's, it's relative to you. So when you hear the word slow, we just mean slower than your race pace. Um, so that's important to remember. And I guess like Jason, you're someone who is really good at going slow on your easy days. I think that's like a strength of yours. What are some of your tips for slowing down on easy days and long runs and not like losing your mind or getting in your head or doubting the system? Yeah, I mean, you can, there's a few, you could run on a treadmill. So you set the pace and you stick with it. Um, You could run with a friend who's a little bit slower than you or someone that you know is going to kind of keep you keep you uh, holding back a bit and and you just kind of get lost in conversation and before you know it you're you're done with your run so um you could also i don't know you could listen to a podcast sometimes that kind of slows me down if you know if i'm listening to music that's pumping me up that's not going to be good but um maybe listening to a podcast or audio book or something um maybe finding a, a route that's pretty hilly just so i'm not tempted to like try to hammer it and you know i'm really just being conservative on the hills um I'd say those are some of the best tips. Maybe join like a like a local run group so that you can find a pack to run with and you can just kind of put yourself in a pace group that's a little bit slower than than uh, what you would, you know, do on your own. So it's just a matter of being disciplined and kind of learning what's going to work for you. Um, and then, you know, obviously, you know, you can use your watch as an indicator. You can check in with yourself after a mile or a couple miles just to make sure that you're not going out too fast. <clears throat> Right. Yeah. I think those are really good tips for keeping the easy days easy. I think we really hammer that home for sure. Um, You know, and some people, they really like to focus more so on like the workouts because some people, they can take the easy days easy and that's not a problem. Or some people, it's actually easier to run easy when you have these quality workouts during the week that you need to hit certain paces. And then it's like recovery on your easy days is super important. So what are some of the best workouts for someone who is trying to build this endurance and get better, you know, at the half marathon and the marathon? on specifically um what are some workouts that they should really focus on doing and maybe what are some workouts also to avoid um that maybe aren't as productive necessarily like if you're someone who's a lot better at 5k 10k and you really want to focus on the marathon and half marathon what should you be focusing on yeah um we definitely want to run longer like tempo runs so when we think about tempo runs we're talking about you know, marathon specific pace work, but also your threshold pace, which is probably, you know, 30 seconds faster. So how do we calculate those paces? We're going to use those online calculators to kind of plug in your 5k pace. Um, But it's, you know, it's typically between your 5k pace and your easy pace. And then um, your, so we're doing blocks of tempo miles. So it maybe starts with just like five minutes at a time, or maybe like a half mile or, you know, and then we do maybe three times that or five times that, and then we just slowly add and build. So you're going to maybe do, you know, before you start sticking chunks together where you're running three miles at a time, you're going to want to build up so you can handle that. So you're not just going to go out and run, you know, you know, uh, for 30 minutes straight at your tempo or your lactate threshold. You're going to do maybe three times five minutes or something like that. And so tempo runs are good. Progression runs, I think, would be a good way too, where you gradually speed up throughout the pace and you get down to around tempo pace by the end of your run. 
Um, I would probably do less of like the fart licks or the speed intervals just because it's not going to, it's not going to have a huge impact on, on improving your aerobic base, um, for long races. So I think there's a place for incorporating some of that in your training periodically, but your primary workouts want to be progression and tempo, tempo runs. Right. Yeah. I think that's so important to remember. It's not like we're saying that fart lick and speed work isn't good. We're just seeing that, you know, if you're someone who already is at like a good speed. Like me, for example, six years ago, this is the example that's coming to mind right now. Um, I went from a 343 marathon to 327 in one training cycle, just within five or six months. Um, and I, I was just kind of stuck in the 340s for a very long time in my marathon. And I, I couldn't figure out why, um, you know, based on my 5k time, you know, 21 minutes, or just under 21, like I should have been able to run in the 320s for a marathon. And it was very frustrating for me. Um, but I wasn't, I was not changing my training enough to really focus on the marathon and the half marathon specifically. So I was kind of like stuck in this, this rut and like my half time was always the same. I literally ran the same exact half marathon time twice um, within a two year span. It was like 141, 141 exactly two years later. I just was not seeing improvements in the longer distances. Um, like my 5k time, it came down a little bit, but I was at a place where it was like the speed that I had was not translating to the long distance. And I was just stuck in this rut. And, you know, I was doing the speed workouts, like you were saying, I thought that was what I needed to be doing. But, you know, when push came to shove, and I really looked at my training and what was important to me, I said, I need to go all in on this marathon, I need to go all in on this half, I need to figure out how I can really build my endurance over the long distance. And the only thing that allowed me to get to that level is to just ax pretty much all speed workouts that were going to be a 5k pace, 8k pace, um, maybe most 10k pace stuff. It I ended up just training most of my stuff at threshold, half marathon pace, marathon pace. Um, and that's really what allowed me to gain the endurance to, you know, shave 16 minutes off my marathon time in, in five months. Um, and I see that as a common problem for a lot of athletes. I, I know a lot of the athletes that come to us or that we chat with, they have a lot of speed. And I look at their 5K, 10K time and I'm like, whoa, like you, your marathon time, just based on that could be like 30 minutes faster right now. If we just like do one cycle where we focus on, um, more of the threshold, more of the steady states, but it's difficult to kind of wean away from doing a lot of the speed workouts. And it's also hard, I think mentally to go all in. So to really say, how am I really committed and dedicated to this? Cause a lot of it over the endurance is mental. You know, you really have to believe in yourself. So you can do all the right training. You can have everything there. Your fitness can be hundred percent, but if you don't believe in yourself and if you don't want it that bad, um, you're probably going to have a, a lot harder time getting it than someone who really wants it and has done all the steps to get there. Um, and I think that's maybe one of the reasons why I haven't really done the marathon lately is just, I haven't really had the desire to like really want to do it. And it's like, I could force myself through it, but the mental aspect of training is so important and you have to really be committed and all in um, for those longer distance, distance events. I mean, even for the short stuff, but I think it'll, it'll come out a lot more in the long distance stuff because you have a long time to talk yourself out of your goal. I mean, if you're out there for three, four hours running a marathon, that's a long time to be alone with your thoughts. Um, so if you're just not 100% in it, then, you know, take each percentage that you're not in it and subtract it off your time. Um, so that's really important. Uh, so Jason, I know you're talking a lot about like tempos and steady states, marathon pace. If someone wants to know like what sort of paces they should be running, um, how do you suggest they go about doing that? How does someone find out like what their marathon pace is? Yeah. So I would say if you haven't done, if you've done a race recently, you know, in the last month or two, you could probably plug those results in to like the VDOT calculator online. Um, um, but otherwise we'd have you just run like maybe like a two mile time trial, something that's pretty, you know, doable and you can do, do on your own. You don't need to show up to a race and run a 5k, but I, you know, anywhere between two to six miles we could use. And then you, um, plug that time in and let's say, you know, let's say you run two miles and let's say 15 minutes. So that's pretty, that'd be seven thirty pace. Um, you know, that's going to give you your, your training paces. So, your race pace was 7.30. Your 
um, threshold is going to be usually 30 to 45 seconds slower. So in this case, it's about 810. And then your marathon pace, about 30 seconds slower than that. So about 840. And then your easy pace is, is another 40 to a minute slower than that. So you're looking at about 940 um, to 1040 would be about the easy range. So, you know, that's something that I've started doing for my athletes is just putting those paces into their, their training peaks so that they can always see it and be reminded of it. And then also we can um, update it as they start to improve and their fitness, you know, as their fitness is gaining. So maybe they, do, maybe they do a race or they do some sort of workout to me that indicates we need to alter the paces just slightly and increase them all by five or 10 seconds. So, um, you know, that we're training accordingly and adjusting the paces based on their fitness. So I think that that's really important to, you know, be training at the right paces and spending time um, in all those zones because if you're constantly doing all your easy runs, let's say go back to this example, you're always doing your easy runs at your marathon pace, which was 840. Um, you're not really allowing your body really time to recover. And then I'm going to, you know, it's going to be harder, I think, to hit your threshold pace or your, your interval paces because you're just not feeling as fresh. So I think it's really important that we slow way down. Um, in this particular case, you know, they're averaging 730. Their easy pace was over two minutes slower, about two and a half minutes slower per mile. Um, so you could use the VDOT calculator. That's a good one. There's other ones out there. Um, if you just Google, um, you know, run smart calculator or pace calculator, it'll, it'll give you all those ranges. Um, but it's typically just adding 30, 30 to 45 seconds, you know, from your race pace to get to your threshold, to get to your um, marathon pace, to get to your easy pace. Right. Yeah. That's a lot of information you just decoded right there. And I know like for you, it comes supernatural. And for a lot of our coaches, I mean, it's just like second nature for us. Like there's so much detail involved um, with everything that you said, which is great information. And I think, you know, we share a lot of this information on our social media page, um, you know, on Pinterest, we, we do a lot of graphic images because we, we want people to kind of have access to this information to be able to improve their fitness and use these principles. And we kind of want to simplify it for people. Um, and, you know, maybe it's just really overwhelming for you to kind of hear all this and read it all. And you just kind of want to focus on doing the actual training instead of creating the plan for yourself. Um, or you just want to see kind of what it's like to work with the coach or, you know, a training plan that's specific to you. Because that was something that really elevated my training to the next level. Um, you know, I've worked with over the course of the 10 years I've been running or 12 years uh, probably, I think it was seven different coaches and it's just learning their philosophies and, and learning from them has helped me grow as a runner and a coach. And I think just, you know, trying different philosophies and methodologies and figuring out what works and what doesn't work can really be a fun experience. Um, so we have actually a seven day free trial for coaching. If you want to just try it out, see what it's about. Um, if you visit our website, www.runforprs, Co. and you fill out the form there, um, we can actually get you connected right away and get you started on a free seven-day trial so you can like see what these kind of workouts are that we're talking about um, in all of our podcasts and see kind of what the experience is like and have, you know, what the pace is customized specifically to you based on your fitness level and just kind of taking all of that guesswork and all of like the puzzle pieces off of your plate and putting it onto someone's plate who, you know, really enjoys doing this and wants to help you and it has experience doing it. Um, so that's just definitely an option for people who are listening who want to see what it's all about. So I just wanted to put in that plug there and thanks for tuning in. If you guys have any questions on building endurance or any feedback for us, uh, let us know. You can email info at runforprs.co. Thanks for tuning in.